Our team is, I'm, I'm so proud of the work that the team has done to make us a company that is incomparable to what we were before. But we haven't been ready to start marketing and scaling it until right about now. Because we've been building it. Welcome back to the show. Today, my guest is Sean Pastouche. Sean is the founder and owner of Active Life, a business that helps boutique gyms establish thriving personal training programs. Active Life is also really heavily involved in helping improve the quality of the experience for the members by improving the quality of the coaching of the coaches, not just in the way that they interact with the members, but especially in the way that they're able to solve some of the more complex issues that members face. Sean is a very passionate guy, as I'm sure you will take out of this podcast, and I know that he is a pioneer in this space that's going to do a lot of good. You're going to love this podcast. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. Real quick before we dive into the episode, you probably heard about this podcast directly from someone else or saw it shared on social media. We can only grow, spread our message further, and keep bringing in awesome and amazing guests with your help. If you could take five seconds and hop on whatever podcast platform you're using and leave us a review, it would mean the world to us. On to the show. Sean Pastouche, welcome to the show. Thank you, Derek. Dude, it's so good having you. I, I mean, I, I think it's going to be great to be here. We'll find out. <laughs> you have no idea, right? That's that's the <laughs> ominous know. like cloud looming over both of us. Yeah, no, um, I've been following your content for quite a few years, and um, it's inspired me both because like I've always pri- prided myself heavily on being a good and and eventually a great coach, and and also a business owner that was able to provide opportunities to, to his coaches. So, um, a lot of your content has, um, you know, struck the right chord with me over the years. And one of the things that I've always appreciated about what you do is that even through all the iterations of active life, your messaging has always been really concise and clear. Has the mission always been the same for you? The mission has evolved. The mission used to be, I mean, if we go back to the beginning, it was, we were just serving the individual. It was, it was, you know, people were flying out to our office and we were treating them, evaluating them in person and sending them out and giving them a program design. That was, you know, I mean, your audience is mostly CrossFit. Yeah. So we had Brooke Wells flew out, Brooke Enns flew out, Jacob Hepner flew out, Lindy Barber flew out, uh, Camille LeBlanc flew out, you know, Jacob, I think I said Jacob Hepner already, but if yeah. I didn't, he flew out, Jared Stevens flew out. Uh, and then James Newberry flew out and then we would go to other, like I, I flew out to Rich Frowning's ranch to work with him met, you know, in the 2017 CrossFit games, we had 40 athletes who were working with active life who were competing at the games. And so we weren't focused on coaches. We weren't focused on gym owners. It became a focus on coaches and gym owners when they, for lack of a better way to describe it, forced it upon us. You know, when, when coaches started saying, Hey, how are you doing this with, with these members in my gym? Why are they coming to you? 
So we started teaching coaches and then gym owners would say, Hey, the coach you taught is making a real living and they're doing things that we can't help people with in group class. How did that happen? So then we started teaching gym owners how to run a gym model that allowed for all of those kinds of coaches to proliferate and grow real businesses. And then we bumped into the ceiling of what could happen there when it was group and personal training. Cause now what happens is you have these coaches who are like, why do I want to coach that group for 25 bucks when I can make 60 personal training? Um, and I like having a real interaction with somebody more than cheering on a big class, even if I do a really good job. Right. So now we're building, um, our flagship location down the block from here that is the full expression of the model that we now teach gym owners to advance their business from and to. So most people who come to us, CrossFit gyms or independently owned boutique studios or coaches who are on their own advance to running the model that we are putting in place down the block. So that's the long answer to no, it wasn't always this mission. All right. Good enough. Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the fascinating points about you is that you kind of have this emergence of two different specialties in the way that you came from this chiropractic background where clearly, you know, you learned so much about the human body and, you know, the do's and don'ts and some of the intricacies around how to get around some of these problems, as you mentioned, that some of these CrossFit Games athletes all the way down to mom and pop were facing. But on the flip side, you worked for Equinox, correct? That was my, so yeah, my second personal training job back in 2005 and then gotcha. back again in 2009 after school. Okay. And, and it was at that job where you also got to see kind of like how the sausage was made on the big business side of things. And like from building sales systems to like being able to create programs that drove people into them. So you kind of had this perfect marriage between being able to help, but also being able to create a program that was profitable and made sense for the coaches and owners. Um, Equinox had a lot of influence there and I did learn a lot on that job, uh, an immense amount. Um, but I think that the reason why we've been able to build out really good systems for coaches and owners is because I've been fortunate to hire a lot of really good people and allow them to do their job. So our company, what like in 2019, our company was a reflection of the best that Sean Pastuch had to offer. Our company now puts that company out of business because our staff with their life experience have come in and made us just demonstrably better. I love that. So basically the pieces you've put around yourself have allowed you to scale to a point and at a rate that you never would have been able to, had you done this all on your own. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I think anybody that's in business long enough figures that out eventually. Well, they do, I think. But the, the difficult thing I'll, I'll share with you, the difficult thing for me sure. is we, when, when all these people came on board and started supporting, we have 32 or 33 staff members now. Um, revenue didn't change all that much because what they all looked at was we don't, our stuff isn't good enough. You know, we, we, we do a good job. Our clients get good results, but our stuff really needs to be better by, by, by magnitudes. And so we've spent the last year and a half building an 800 page textbook that our team created 18 hours of 
video content for ongoing education for coaches that our team created a 996. We couldn't get four more test question, <laughs> you know, <laughs> year and a year and change long exam. You could have just used, you could have just used the technique of making it like a font of like 12.5. <laughs> it wasn't, that, it wasn't that they wouldn't fit on the page. We were like, there's not, there's not four more questions for comprehensive oh, learning. Oh, unless enough. we ask them like, you know, we're not, we're not asking history of active life questions in the education. If you want to. Fair know. enough. Um, and like, and, and so much more like they, our team is, I'm, I'm so proud of the work that the team has done to make us a company that is incomparable to what we were before, but we haven't been ready to start marketing and scaling it mm. until right about now because we've been building it. Were there any self-limiting beliefs that you had to get over to make all those hires and make the changes that were necessary for the company to grow? It, it would it would be easier for me to share the beliefs that I had before that I still have than mm. to share the beliefs that I had before that I don't have anymore. That's how much I had to change to make this go. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so it, it, you feel like there has been a big paradigm shift for you as a leader of the company. Oh my God. I tell people, um, all the time, the people who were my closest friends five, six years ago, who knew everything about me, who I haven't seen since then have never met me. Like they've, if they, if they, if they hung out with me today, they'd be like, I have no idea who you are. You are not anything like the person I knew five years ago. And I think that's a compliment. I just gave myself, <laughs> but, but the idea is I let go of almost everything down to like, who has a credit card? So did you have a moment where, where you were like, it's time for change or was there something that pushed you over the edge? I have a phenomenal mentor. His name is Ken Andruco. And Ken told me in 2020, uh, he said, you have to make a decision. These aren't his words. I'm paraphrasing now. You have to make a decision. You can either continue to be a company that, that comes out of your head and run it in this cowboy way. And at the time I, we were making enough money that if I wanted to, I could have put a million dollars into my pocket every year. He's like, you can either plus my salary. He's like, you could either do that. Or you could build the team and the structure that allows you to be the company you've talked about wanting to be. So basically and you, had, you had to make the decision over doing this for some sort of personal gratification versus changing the world. I think that that makes me sound too um, virtuous. My personal gratification will come from significant scale. Sure. You know, it's, it's, I didn't set out to do this to, to make a million dollars. I want to make a lot more than a million dollars. Don't get me wrong. Money is good. I love money, love money, but I could make, I could make more money more easily doing a lot of different things. And I chose to do this because I'm inspired by what we're able to help people do and what we're able to help people help people do. 
so I want to see it grow. I want to see it. I want to see it scale to the size of being a household name. So one of the things like there's a lot of gym mentorship programs that are out there, but one of the ones that's very unique about what it is that you do is that you not just have a very heavy hand on coaching the coaches, but you're coaching the coaches very directly on the things that are going to directly impact their members. You see what I'm saying? Like you're in the weeds oh, yeah. with with the nuances of programming, right? And experience for the member all the way to like, you know, the the mannerisms and things that the the coach should have in in the process of working with somebody. Can you speak to how that works for you guys? Like do you do you really enjoy that part of coaching the coaches how to coach? I could, you, you could not ask another question for the next 45 minutes and I could answer that. <laughs> that makes my um, job a lot easier. I, I say that because the way, the way I describe, um, fitness as an industry is the same way I look at us and other mentorship companies. And take this with love. I see the fitness industry like an ice cream shop. And we don't sell ice cream. We're not, we don't work. We're not a gym mentorship company that anybody, if you're working with another gym mentorship company and you're looking to improve your business and keep serving the client you're serving, we're not a fit for you. We're not at all. Um, we are so categorically different and I'll, I'll, I'll explain it. The reason why I said it's ice cream is because people go to the ice cream shop and they're like, I want to try this flavor today. They're not, they're not, you know, loyalists to vanilla chip or to pistachio today. I'm going to try, you know, cookie dough. I think I want cookie dough. That's people bouncing from F45 to CrossFit, to orange theory, to fit body camp, to burn camp, to, Peloton, like that's to me that that's ice cream. It's people saying, if I can get the same result in all of these places, because all of these places tell me that they can get me the same result, whether that's true or not is a different conversation, but all of those places would tell the same person that they can get them the same result. We wouldn't the gyms we work with and the flagship that we're opening would not take the client who is a fit for the other gyms in our town. And they shouldn't come to us. I did the math the other day. Um, there are, there's a capacity for about 8,000 to 9,000 fitness people in my town to be served by the fitness businesses that exist here in terms of like capacity of each of these gyms. And I'm probably aiming low, but that's, that's where I went. There's two big boxes and then a bunch like 12 small boutique fitness businesses. We want 120 people hard cap. So we're aiming for 1.4% of the viable market, right? Yep. What that means is if we speak too broadly about who we can serve, we need to sift out all of the people who don't fit into the 1.4% of the broad local market. So who is so the we, avatar client in that 1.4? That's the person who I would suggest. And I would, I would have fun debate if anybody would have it with me. Uh, the person that 
no other gym in this town, including the CrossFit gyms, the F45, the personal training studio has any process to help. So I'll give you the two margins of who that person is. And everybody else who doesn't fit between these two people, we wouldn't take. On the extremely uh, high need end, let's take the high need end first. We have a client who was born paralyzed on one side of her body. She's 60 something years old. She has lumbar compression fractures from insufficiency due to osteoporosis. She's osteoporotic, full body. And she recently had her hip replaced. What's the scale when you're doing Fran for that woman? There is not. Like that. Like, right, like she doesn't, a, she doesn't need to be doing Fran. Or anything like it. Correct. So, so that, that woman doesn't fit in any of the gyms in our town, except for us. You know, one of her goals was, I want to get back into pigeon pose on the side that I had the hip replacement. Because of the education that our staff has, they told her, that is an irresponsible goal for us to promise that we can help you achieve. Because pigeon pose for somebody with a hip replacement is counter to the way the hip replacement was built. And we can cause damage even trying to get into that position. If that's a priority for you, we won't take you as a client because yeah. we know we can't deliver on it. That's interesting. Yeah. I, um, you know, I feel like there is, while this is a very like hyper-specific example, I think that there is a point kind of um, baked into it, which is that people do become romanticized over specific things. And it's the coach's job to be able to delineate, right. And truly pick mm -hmm. apart what is the opportunity cost to cost and the risks to reward of trying to help you accomplish this thing that you don't even know that you actually want to accomplish or not? Mm -hmm. Yes. Or why? What does it, what does it mean that you, like, if you could do that, what does it mean to you? Okay. Well, there are 7,000 ways that we can get you that. Can we take this one off? Right. So that's, that's, that, that's the extreme on, on, on the high need side. Okay. Let's go to the extreme on the low need side for somebody who we would take 49 year old mom. She could have been 39 or 34, whatever. 39 year old mom, three kids, fairly young, no injury history. Used to be a CrossFit member. Um, was pissed that she never got a muscle up. She's got that kind of competitive mindset to her. Um, all that she wants is to be a strong model for her kids and her husband as she ages. And she was tired of getting beat up in the gym every day. She was tired of um, going in and doing things that she felt like were not aligned with what she was trying to achieve. She didn't care about snatch position. She didn't care about the first pull on a clean. She didn't really care about muscle ups. It was just because she was in the gym and other people could do them and she wanted to be able to do what everyone could do. What she really wants is somebody to guide her to age gracefully. She wants education so that she can start to make decisions for herself. And she wants that education to be intentional, not earned through hard workouts. What'd you learn about yourself today? She wants like whiteboard lectures, education. And she wants to be somebody who is completely independent as she ages to be able to take care of herself. That's a person who I believe most 
CrossFit gym owners think they can help too. So as you're going through the consultation process, what types of questions when you're getting into this motivational interview do you ask in order to be able to identify whether you can help and want to help this individual? Great question. So first of all, we don't motivational interview. Um, what we, what, the way we look at it is we're not selling you something. You're selling us something. We want to, we, we cap enrollment at 10 new clients a month. We're not looking for high volume. So, and, and there's a lot of personal training in the beginning, a lot, a lot, a lot. It's prescriptive and people are getting prescriptions of 80 to hundred sessions regularly. So we only have the bandwidth to take on so many people at a time. It's a two part process. The first part is a discovery call. The discovery calls where we're deciding, do we think we can help you? That's it. Do we think we can help you? The way we do that is the obvious things, right? What are you signing up for? What are you looking for? And then we walk them through what we call an impact filter. So what we want to know is what is the best case scenario of success if you work with us? What is the worst case scenario of not taking any action? What would be the success criteria for you to be able to comfortably say, I had that best case scenario happen. So let's say, for example, someone says, I want to lose 20 pounds. That's not someone we would take on. What does losing 20 pounds mean to you? I want to be a better example for my kids. I want to be able to take my shirt off when I go to the beach and be confident. I want all, okay, now we're talking. What must be true for you to be confident to take your shirt off when you go to the beach and to consider yourself a model for your kids? Well, I need to be able to just grab any item off of my clothing rack in my closet and feel good about wearing it. I need to eliminate all the negative self-talk that I have. And I don't want someone to just tell me to eliminate the self-talk. It needs to just go away because I actually feel good about myself. So it sounds and, and, to me, sorry to interrupt. It, it sounds to me okay. like in a way, your ability to ask the right questions and then determine like the emotional response of the person, the more you dig, the more you're able to recognize we can help this person. Because one of the things that we find is that everyone has the same goal on the surface. It's not until you dig, we start to figure out that the goals start to differentiate from one another. Have you read Donald Miller's building a story brand? Yes. It's on my okay. somewhere on the shelf. Right. So, so what he talks about is the external goal, the internal goal and the philosophical goal or the external problem, the internal problem and the philosophical problem. Yep. And I think what you're speaking to there is the external problem. Everyone will sound the same. The external problem being, uh, I want to look better, feel better, yada, yada, yada. Okay. Well, what does that mean to you? What's the, it, how does that change your life? That's when it starts to be different. Right. And the philosophical problem will range to like, what did you, what do you think should be true? That's not. And that's, definitely going to be different. So yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, we, our staff to give you some insight, our staff who is here is getting 10 hours a week of continued professional and personal development every week, 10 hours, plus the tactical education that they're getting from our company, which takes them about three hours a week. They're all going through the education for the second time. They've already gone through it. They're doing it again. Um, a lot of what we do in our development is humanizing people. Like when they said this, what did they mean? And how do you ask them a question that is not inflammatory to them? That's not sticking your thumb in a bullet wound and, and agitating the problem. I fucking hate that term. <laughs> 
in, in interviews, like, oh, get find out the problem, then agitate it, then offer a solution. Fuck you. That's making that that's being a bully and making somebody feel bad enough that they want to pay you to get them out of that feeling that you just put them in. I don't, we, <laughs> don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't do that. That's a funny take. So, so, so that's call number one, right? Do we think that we can do that for you? We do or we don't. If we don't, we make a referral somewhere else. If we do, we invite you to, to the second meeting. Second meeting's in person. In the second meeting, based on some personality stuff that we got from you on the first call, both our team lead and the professional coach that we believe is going to be best aligned to support you is going to be in the meeting. In that meeting, we want to identify what do we think we would need to do to get you to that goal. So it's a different set of questions. Based on the questions that we ask and the answers that they give, we provide a formula, a formula-based approach to how many personal training sessions and how much education we believe they're going to need before they're going to be competent and confident enough to move into our autonomous model, which I'll get to in a moment. That could be 80, 100, 60, 25, right? The, the low end, that woman on the low end, we recommended 26 to her. She left. She's like, I'm going to need double that. We said, okay, well, 26 is our recommendation. The woman on the higher end needed somewhere around 160, I think. Right? So totally different needs coming in to end up in the same place. Our autonomous model is individual design offered in a group setting so that there's always going to be somebody in the room making sure you're doing things properly. Is it done like semi-private? So it's like a one to four, one to five or larger than that? So the room, the room uh, can hold 10. We have 10 stations. It's all stations. You have all your equipment at your station, uh, your own tablet at your station, all of that stuff. It's all there. Um, our goal is to, based on the volume of members we want to have, we believe we'll have about eight to one be our average. But remember, these are people who've been through 25 to 160 personal training sessions, most of whom are probably still buying a personal training session or two every single month. So there isn't a lot of teaching happening there's a lot of correcting and supporting of things they already know how to do right. happening. Now, now there's no three, two, one go. That doesn't, that doesn't happen. <laughs> now, one of the things, you know, I was thinking about is that we've already identified that like the company was very heavily tied to your progression as a leader. What was it in your own personal experiences through fitness that's led you to this point to be able to think this way as a coach in the way that you teach people to work with, the members at your gym or the members at their own gym? Like, have you had any experiences through your own fitness that's kind of led you to this? It's a good question. I haven't been asked that question before. Nice job. Winner. I think so. I think it's that um, as I get older, I'll be 40 next year. I'm able to better empathize with people who are in a similar phase of life that I'm in. And when I was 20, I opened my first CrossFit gym when I was 27. It's 27. Yeah. So I was 27 years old. I was a doctor. I opened my first CrossFit gym. That was the smartest I've ever been in my life. I've never been smarter than, than then. Um, at least if you ask my 27 year old version of it's myself. It's like the, Dun the Dunning Kruger effect. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, 
back then I was like, who wouldn't want to feel this way when you exercise? Who wouldn't want to know that you left your all in there? Who wouldn't want to be ripped? I was fucking shredded. I like, I have pictures of myself from when I used like, you know, I had a photographer in our gym. He still works at the company. Super clear. So I have good photos of myself when I was in my twenties. I'm like, now I understand why you married me, babe. Cause my <laughs> wife is way better looking than me. She's way cooler and she's way easier to get along with. Um, I don't look that way anymore. I still look good, but I don't look like that anymore. And I don't care to, it's too hard to maintain that kind of a lean physique for me to make a priority of it. Yeah. So back then, but the thing is back then, that's all I knew how to prioritize. So when people would come in, my assumption was, of course, everybody wants this. Look at me. Look at my business partner. We're ripped. All of our coaches ripped. Who wouldn't want that? And what better model, if you will, than CrossFit to achieve it when you look at the way all these people who do CrossFit look, it's undeniable. And that's a hundred percent true. You can look that way doing that thing. If you eat properly, I just don't fucking care anymore to look that way. And I don't think most people do. Yeah. And I think the analogy you can draw here is it's like, you know, if you, if there's a kid on a playground and they fall and scrape their arm, by the time you go to put the bandaid on the wound is healed. You know, and it's like, as we get older, the healing just takes longer. And I think what you were more or less emphasizing there is that as you got older, it wasn't just the looks, it was also the effects that that type of exercise, just constant high intensity all of the time was taking on you. And also, as we get older, responsibilities grow, and we don't have the same amount of time to put into our recovery. Well, I'll push back on that. Go ahead. I'll push back on that last one, because that's a decision. I have all the time in the world if I want to focus on my recovery. Well, that's fair. Right? I, but you're also not, and, and, you're not in a, you're in an uncommon situation. I don't think that's true. I'm in an uncommon uh, business situation, but, but we all have the same 24 hours a day and we all have the same choices to make. And, and, and yes, there are people who are more fortunate than me and people who are less fortunate than me. And we don't all have the same rules around the decisions that we're able to make every day. We play different games, right? So the rules and the decisions are going to be influenced by that. I respect that. The people who are going to be listening to this, the people who are choosing, who, who were CrossFitters at one point in their life, those people most likely still have the ability to prioritize their recovery if they chose to do so. It's that they, it's not important enough. Let me ask you this then as a follow-up, given the direction that you've gone, is it just the aesthetics piece or is there also a hint of longevity in there? In other words, what do you mean? Do you believe that doing just smash mouth CrossFit every day is the best way to promote longevity? Oh, no. Oh. I have a friend of mine, JL Holdsworth, a uh, really smart guy, runs a company called RPR, Reflexive Performance Reset. Uh, I think he said it perfectly. He, he calls it junk food fitness mm. or f junk food or fast food, whatever it is. The idea was, of course it's fun. Of course we like it. Of course it feels good. Of course it does something that we like. And of course we shouldn't take it out of our diet. But if it's the whole diet, it's not, it's not a sustainable way to live. 
Yeah. And I think one of the things, um, we've been able to do, and I know that you guys do this as part of your gym as well is, is having a screening process that allows you to gather some more inventory on the people coming through. So, uh, regardless of their goals, you're able to match a plan to them that involves certain movements and not others because of their limitations that you are aware of, you know, and I think this was a piece Um, that was missing in the CrossFit space for such a long time. It's still missing. Oh, it's still missing. Sure. And, and, and I think, and I don't know anything about your gym. So I, I mean, no disrespect when I say that, um, the magnitude of that needs analysis is where I think the, the hair worth splitting lives. Right. So for example, you talk to a Jason Ackerman best hour of their day, right? Yep. He's going to say everyone can go to a CrossFit gym. I'm going to ask him, what about someone in a coma? He's going to say, well, they're not a fit, obviously. Okay. Well, they just came out of the coma and now they're learning how to eat and swallow and walk and all this kind of stuff all over again. Are they a fit? No. Okay. Well, what we start to see is that saying everyone's a fit is insanity. And now we start to walk our way back and we say, okay, well, when does somebody become a fit? From coma to, you know, Olympic heptathlete. When is somebody a fit? And when do they stop being a fit again on the other extreme? And the assessment that you're describing, I believe at best, most gyms are doing a physical assessment. And I believe that the worst version of the physical assessment that most of those gyms are doing is watching how somebody moves and then reactively changing what they're asking them to do. Oh, I watched that person squat. The squat is an exercise and an assessment. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You won't get an argument from me. Is it the best version though? Definitely not. So I'm assuming you're referring to like a biopsychosocial model. A biopsychosocial model and the, the, the bio part of it being much more sensitive. Right. So the best example I can, the simplest example I can give here is, and this doesn't have to take a long time. If we stood everyone in a five o'clock class in the room before we deadlifted, we're about to do Diane. I want everyone to stand with their feet underneath their hips and reach down as far as they comfortably can. Legs extended. Stand up when you hear the right cue. Stand up if you are not touching your toes or the ground. Stand up. Stand up if you're experiencing any pain or discomfort right now. They stand up. Stand up if you're feeling a stretch or discomfort in your calves. They stand up. Stand up if you're feeling stretch or discomfort in your low back. They stand up. Anybody who is standing is at best a yellow flag to deadlift that day. And at worst, a red flag. And we can do that in 30 seconds with a hundred with 1,000 people. With with an unlimited number of people, as long as they can hear and see us. Yeah, I love the universality right? of that. Um, uh, t- like screening an application, we we use a table screening. Everyone, we we use a very PT first model, so everyone mm-hmm. at very minimum is getting five sessions up through twelve with us um, when they get started. And some people we don't like. We will recommend against group for that very reason. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think that's responsible of you. Well, I've been at it eleven years. <laughs> So it doesn't mean anything. Well, fair enough. That means nothing. Yeah, fair enough. No, it, look, it, it, um, t- it takes time, you know, and I had to go through some, some belief changes myself in order to make some of those changes because 
like mm-hmm. yourself, you know, I got involved with CrossFit for me, it was in like 2009 and it was like, this is the coolest thing ever. I can get shredded and super jacked. And like, this is a high flying fun workout, you know, and it's, it's hard when all of your members are going, that's what I want. And you're going, but that's not the best thing for you. And it takes time to change that culture in your facility. And I think for some owners, they just shy away from it. I think, I think most, most of them, I think most people who own a CrossFit gym, uh, don't believe like you do. And they're not looking for what you're looking for. And they're not, um, they don't have the contrition that you have or the self-awareness that you have. And I think it's very mature the way that you do it. I, you know, I'm the first person to say that CrossFit should exist and that CrossFit is a really valuable place for the right person to train and that CrossFit executed really well can and does change people's lives for the better. Hard stop. The area that I get crap from the CrossFit community on is that the key word there was for the right person done the right way. And not everybody is the right person and not everyone is doing it the way that you're doing it. So there's this belief that nobody wants to pay the personal training money on the upfront. So I can't ask them to do that. Well, do you think they need it? And now, now you, now you get split. Some people say yes. Some people say no. Well, for the people who say no, let's put them aside for the people who say yes. Well, then why aren't you asking them to do it and making it a part of your business model? Nobody will join. Nobody wants to pay. Yeah, They're projecting their own financial insecurities onto the client. Potentially. The other thing could be they're just lacking skills sure. to have the conversation to, to help the client understand that it's a smart thing to do for the people who don't know how to do it. Or the people who say, no, I don't think that they need to do that. Who are you looking to attract? Maybe you're right, right? If you're looking to bring people in who are uh, ex-athletes aged, you know, 18 to 33 years old, down to have a little bit of shit talk. They want to take their shirt off. They don't care if their body aches a little bit from day to day. They want to go fast. Then you're right. They don't need that. But if you want my mom to join your gym and she is like, not really a fit, but could be a fit. She definitely needs that. And she actually is more likely to join when you give it to her than when you don't. Yeah. That's definitely something that we've found. Like people find comfort in the one-on-one experience up front and the prescriptive model of someone telling them almost like a doctor would tell you exactly what you need rather than, Hey, what do you think? What do you want? So now all you need to do to understand what our model is, is the whole thing is that. The whole thing, beginning to end, is all prescriptive. And that doesn't mean it's not for everybody. It's really not. And when I say that, one of the things that I, I, that I, I get cringed from is when people will say, like, our gym's not for everybody. If you're not ready to work hard and be coached, we can't help you. I'm like, why don't you just apply for a job and tell them they shouldn't hire you if they're looking for someone who's not a perfectionist? <laughs> That's your biggest weakness. I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> I care too much. Like, stop. You haven't evaluated yourself. That's, that's the truth. Who's really not a fit for you. I challenge every gym to do that. Every coach to do that, including our own. Now you've obviously identified that there, you know, while you fully and wholeheartedly believe in what, what it is that you do, that you also, 
you accept the fact that there are all these other philosophies that can coexist, but if you had it your way, what would coaching look like 10 years from now? It, it wouldn't, it wouldn't look like anything. The, we need diversity of ideas. We need diversity of offerings. If everything looked the way that we do, 98.6% of the market would go underserved. That's fair. Of the existing fitness market. Okay. That's not good enough. So we need coaching to look like CrossFit. We need coaching to look like personal training in, in done well in a commercial gym environment. We need orange theories to exist, Barry's boot camps to exist. They may not look exactly the same, but we need a diversity of what it looks like. I would say this, what I would change. If you said to me, what would you change about coaching 10 years from now? What's different? Um, it's a career, not a hobby. And the barrier to entry is high. Yeah, you made a post about this a couple days ago, just illuminating. Um, what profession was it that you were talking about? Um, estheticians. Yes, and and a thousand hours to become an esthetician. You have to you have to go to school after high school for a thousand hours to sit for an exam. Personal trainer needs a high school diploma, a CPR certification, and sometimes they need to pass a test. So you think that, you know, just to, to rewind the tape a little bit, you know, coaches in the future should, there should be a higher barrier to entry in order for them to get into the industry. Way higher, way higher. And, and here's the thing that I, here's, here's how I, here's why. Let's just use the esthetician example because you just mentioned it. It's a thousand hours, which isn't that much, but it's a thousand hours so that you can make sure you are not going to put the wrong lotion on somebody's skin and cause a breakout. It is to make sure that you know how to disinfect your scissors, your buzzers, your combs. It's to make sure that you understand what an allergy to a certain kind of makeup is. Right? That's that's what they go there for. All of those things could have negative ramifications, right? No, no one is saying that having something like a staph infection because you got a haircut is desirable. Okay. In a gym, we are affecting somebody's entire physiology, their heart, their lungs, their liver, their st- everything, everything. And they can do that after a test that they don't have to go to school for? That no one has to watch them do anything? You can literally take the test in between whatever you're doing at your real job while you do your real job. It's insanity. Insanity. And what we say as an industry is the best coaches in the world are the ones who care the most. And that's such a line of bullshit that allows people to be below average and consider themselves exceptional because they care. I'm sorry, but if you're a firefighter, a 
teacher, a police officer, a construction worker who cares so much that you coach the 5 a.m. class every day, Monday through Friday. I want to be your friend. I don't want you to be my coach because you, full-time, as a coach, would annihilate you part-time. And there's a full-time you out there. And that's who I want to work with. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, for me, one of the things I've found is that coming from an exercise science background, I have both seen incompetency in the traditional setting just as much as I've seen out of it. And I think that one of the Mm -hmm. separators comes down to the obsession right? And the drive of the coach as an individual to educate themselves and seek out higher forms of education. There's, but there's a difference in the incompetency at that level. And I'll, I'll, I'll shine a light on it because I've seen it too, right? I mean, I graduated chiropractic school and I, I wouldn't let half of my classmates touch me. Um, <laughs> they probably had to so, though, right? As part of the, some of the application. Dude, when, when, when we were, when we were doing things like learning how to draw blood, yeah. that's when, that's when you see who people trust. Mm. When you start looking around the room for, you make the eye contact. I'm going to partner with you today. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then there's, uh, you know, w- when we're learning how to adjust the cervical spine, Ooh. I don't want you to. Yeah, no me. thanks. There's, right. Um, so I'm not, I'm not, um, I don't know what the right word is here, but I'm not absolving anybody of incompetence at the professional level, regardless of the level of education that they got. I, I was watching the documentary last night, um, the crime of the century about the opioid epidemic. Like, of course those doctors are, are beyond negligent, but they're, they're harmful. Right. So having a doctor, it does not make you good. Right. Myself included when I, I mean, the reason I left clinic was because in part, um, my partner was better at me at what we did in clinic. And I didn't want to be as good as he did. I just, I didn't want to be that good. I didn't like it enough. Yeah. Um, so I knew, well, if I'm not passionate enough to be as good as him, I should leave. So to that point, the things they are incompetent at are a higher level of things. Meaning the, the person who is an incompetent painter, right? Um, is going to, they have a lower ramp of what they need to be good at to be a competent painter than the person who is doing finishing millwork around your house, making sure that all of the edges are perfect. That's a higher level of competency. So if a person's incompetent at that, it doesn't mean that they couldn't, like they put a different level of effort in. And when it comes to, in a, in a medical industry, for example, we at least have the barrier of entry that these people go to four years of school afterwards. They spend a ton of money. You have to really want to do it. So we don't have the people who were just like, I'm going to try it and see if I like I it. I watched my wife go through pharmacy school. So I got the firsthand experience of seeing, seeing how long that right. road is. Right. I didn't do such a good job with the painting and the millwork, but with the, you know, the, the idea of the, the doctor, the worst doctor in the world graduated medical school. Right. Like they, they had to pass organic chemistry. Well, and organic chemistry. And too. you did admit, you know, that there is a continuum on here, right? The coach that is at a Barry's boot camp does not need to be to the level of the coach that works for active life. They don't. And the thing is, the thing, and here's here's the here's the bone I pick. Um, the Barry's boot camp coach probably would acknowledge 
that they're not. The CrossFit coach has been convinced that they are the world's most elegant problem to vexing, or the more, the, excuse me, the most elegant solution to the world's most vexing problems. And it's just not true. So, yeah, I mean, do you think that that's a large part of your messaging now? No, no, because I, I talk about CrossFit. Five percent of the time, yeah. But what happened? But that's because they're a part of the industry. What happens though is because I came from a CrossFit background, at least part of me did. Every time I say anything, if I say functional fitness, people come out of the woodwork and they're like, "You're shitting on CrossFit." I'm like, "I'll say CrossFit when I mean CrossFit. I mean functional fitness. I actually think CrossFit's definition of functional isn't even worth discussing." Because they're not talking about functional the way that the average person in the world thinks about functional. So I'm not talking about CrossFit when I talk about functional fitness. I'm talking about functional. The idea that people, right? Like the idea that it looks like real life, emulates real life. CrossFit includes it emulates real life and produces more power. I don't care about that because the person who I'm trying to help doesn't care about that. It's not how they're using the word. So when I talk about things, um, CrossFitters often believe I'm talking about them because from my experience, when I was there too, CrossFitters believe everything is about CrossFit. It's the center of the universe and everything revolves around it, which isn't true. So what does your fitness currently look like? What do I do? Yeah. So it, it, uh, it changes. Um, I wouldn't say that I have something that I'm like, this is what I do and you should follow it and you should be consistent like I am. I'm not. I have a one of I have a disc injury in my neck that I earned um in a CrossFit gym that I owned. So no one's fault but mine. Um doing handstand push-ups and just pile driving myself into the ground and then going right into cleans. Um so if I overdo it in air quotes my neck acts up and it shoots down into my arm and I can not experience that when I don't want to. I have kids who are three, five and seven and they like to sit on my shoulders when we walk in busy crowds. Mm. And there was one day that I was like, I I couldn't put my kid on my shoulders because my neck was bothering me too much. And I was like, never, no, I'm never again, never again. Uh, so I hired a coach from our team to help me overcome that, uh, to help me be a functional person in terms of the way that I exercise and the way that my body performs as a result of. So right now it's, it's mostly the kind of training that an active life professional would ask you to do before that. Uh, like I said, I have three kids. They all are girls. When I found out the third one was going to be a girl, I immediately started training mixed martial arts. <laughs> the first two, you're like, you're on your own, but the third one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, like I, I believe that my job as a father is actually to create people who are strong enough that they don't need dad to step in. Yeah, I love that. But dad might need to step in anyway. And I don't want some 17 year old coming to my house 
in, you know, 14 years and beaten me up in front of my kids. <laughs> so I, so I started taking mixed martial arts one-on-one. I did that for two years. That was my fitness. Any, any uh, philosophy two, in general or, or specifically? Do what, like be practical about well, it. Well, no, I meant more from like MMA. MMA. Are you doing judo, jujitsu, oh. Muay Thai? Oh, um, I was, it was, it was, it was a combination of Taekwondo and grappling. Mm-hmm. So I, re- I wrestled in middle school. I wrestled in high school. Um, the guy who I went to for help, his dad started a Taekwondo school like 30 years ago. Yeah. The kid is a monster. He's, I, I don't, there was no formal, like I wasn't doing any of those poses or like bouncing around. So it was, it was Taekwondo inspired. Come get your ass kicked three days a week. Fun. How'd your body, how does your body hold up from all of it? It's a different kind of hurt. It's very true. Like it's, it's a, a bruise is different than a joint pain. You know, kicking, kicking somebody's elbow is different than spraining an ankle. I would take spraining an ankle in the moment all any time (laughs) over kicking somebody's elbow at full go. But when I kicked his elbow, his knee, his shin, um, or got, you know, it it felt like my foot fell off. I was like, did I just Anderson Silva my shin? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Go to put it down behind you. It's not there. Yeah. Well, and I think there's also something to be said on the fitness side. I was in um, Muay Thai and jujitsu for years and like impact power and just the exercise Mm -hmm. side of that is something like your obliques will never be that sore. No. And, and the other thing is your cardio will never be as good. Yeah, that's true. It's, 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 it's a different, it's one thing to work on your cardio in a gym and that's hard. Don't get me wrong. It's another thing to have an adrenaline dump, (laughs) have to try to calm down. And go for 10 minutes. Oh, by the way, you're trying not to get punched in the face. Don't get punched in the face. If you shoot that double leg, watch out for a knee. And when you get that guy on the ground, make sure that you don't let go. Yeah. One, like that's, that's funny. That's hard. That's funny. One <laughs> of the things that was so um, illuminating for me, or I should, I should say surprising in the beginning with Muay Thai was how hard it is to hit a moving target. Like you go from bag work mm. to mitt work to sparring and you're like, what the hell? Like, where's all my skills? It's it, yeah. It's it's also the idea of like that didn't land clean at all. Like it landed, <laughs> right? It, it almost it it felt like a dream. Clean. You know, like the dreams where you punch something yes. and nothing happens. Dude, so so the guy I trained with, we we did a lot of sparring because I told him I I just wanted to be practically good at it. Right, I'm not looking to compete in a competition. I want to make sure that I can get in and out of a bad situation quickly. Right. Um, and that's it. I don't even need to win a fight. I just need to make it so that you don't want to fight. Me. <laughs> yeah. You're not an easy um, target. Exactly. Pick on the, pick on the guy next door to me with prey energy. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I was vi- like he, for one day we sparred and I was throwing a jab and he would come over the top and hook me <laughs> every time he'd slip the jab and hook me on the side of the head. And I'm like, damn it. Every time, <laughs> every time. So before I went in the next time, I was like, I'm going to faint a jab and then I'm going to roll, right? So I'm going to throw a jab out yep. there. I'm going to duck, roll to my right. Cause I'm a, I'm a Southpaw roll to my right and come over the top with a straight. 
right? So the jab is just to draw his hook. I'm going to duck underneath the hook and I'm going to fucking drill him in the face. <laughs> that was my plan. So I come in, I let him hit me with a few hooks, like knowing I'm setting up for this. I do it. I drill him in the face. And I'm like, in the moment, I'm like, oh my God, it worked. And then two tenths of a second later, I got walloped <laughs> on the side of my head. Saw stars. I was like, wow, I wasn't trying to look at the ceiling, but I just saw it. My head spun all the way around. Yeah. I think I'm done for the day. That's so, hilarious. Yeah, I mean, I I was fortunate, was I, fortunate and unfortunate enough to get a chance to roll with some some black belts, um, and also I I worked with um, the Fairtex team at our Muay Thai school, and one of the things that I've recognized is that it's like fighting a ghost. Like when you fight someone that's really really good, but by the time mm-hmm. you get to where you're going, they're already they're already four steps in the other direction. They put you it's there. so fr- right right. It's like chess right. They're baiting you. It's yeah. so frustrating. You. You think that was um, free will that put you in that position, but it was actually the other person. Yeah, you feel like you're in the matrix, in their matrix, yeah. <laughs> basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So just the other day, I had uh, Chris Cooper on, and we were talking about just triaging time, and he said something to the effect of, in order to be like a really good leader, you have to become a mental athlete. And he was talking about this in the context of just being really protective over his time, um, also generous with it, but just being smart about the way he spends his time. And I'm going to selfishly ask this of you too, because you've obviously found a lot of success, um, you know, in all that you do with active life and everything else, you know, how, how do you triage your time? I, I am not the person who manages it. So I have a team member who is exceptional at being my work mom. Her name is Sheila. Sheila, you don't get an appointment with me unless you talk oh, to Sheila. I know. That includes I my father. Right? That includes my dad and my mom. And my dad once said to me, why are you making me go through your assistant to get on the phone with you? I'm like, because dad, during the day, I'm back to back to back to back all day. I, and I like it that way. And I'm not looking at my phone. So if you call me, I'm not going to answer it. And if I happen to be walking to the bathroom, holding my phone and you call while I do that, you're going to get the attention that you would get from somebody peeing in the urinal. <laughs> and that's not the attention that you want. Right. So if Sheila schedules time for us to talk, for us to get together, I will be intentional when I'm there. And so everything gets scheduled through Sheila. I also um, have a success criteria that I think is unique. If I am home, by 6 p.m. with my phone in the drawer and I'm present with my family, I had a successful day. Regardless of if we lost three or four clients that day, which we haven't had a day where we lost three or four clients in the same day, but you follow what I'm describing, yes. right? It could be the worst day at work ever. If I'm able to get home by six o'clock or leave by six o'clock, put my phone into a drawer and just be completely present with my family without thinking about the day I just had. I had a successful day. And so the constraints are around what, what are must haves in my life. You know, I get a haircut every Friday, 830 AM. Nothing like that's, that's happening. I work out three mornings a week and one weekend day. And that workout is 45 minutes. If the coach on my team 
on our team programs me something longer. He gets a message. I completed the first 45 minutes of this and then stopped. Uh, and this is where I stopped. That's, that's how I do it. How long did it take you to figure out that you needed, um, an assistance or somebody to guard your time and be able to schedule everything for you? I uh, took a D cashew, um, who is the owner of working against gravity was, uh, it took her two years to convince me mm. of every time we talked asking, do you have an assistant yet? I was like, what are they going to do? Book my airline tickets. She's like, yeah. And now I, I don't know if I could book my own airline tickets. <laughs> I could cause nothing has changed, but yeah. I, I would hope that in 10 years when everything has changed, I won't be able to do it. That's fair. No, I mean, and this is, um, this is a shared sentiment, you know, but everyone has their own little twist on it. So I definitely wanted to ask. Yeah. Well, Sean, you do a great job of just improving the lives of all of the people that you work with and, in, and improving, increasing the standard for them. So thank you so much for everything that you do. It's my pleasure. I appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you again for having Sheila take the time for you to get on the podcast and hop on here and chop it up with me, man. It's been a blast. You're welcome. May I add one thing? Yeah. Um, you were asking earlier about um, developing leadership skills and managing time. And one of the things that I think is really important is that I used to think I was a great leader. And that was because I was the guy who was down to take the bullets. I was the guy who was down to get in front of everybody else, take all of the blame and divert all of the, all of the credit. Right. But I wasn't a great leader at all. I was a great leader in turbulent times because I had the skill set for that. I didn't have the skill set to be a great leader in good times. And my belief is that a great leader creates a safe and inspiring work environment in which a team and clients can vigorously pursue a mutually shared vision. And I just want people to hear that because the, I get asked to come on podcasts often because of the leadership that people think that I have. And if there's one area of my life where I feel like I still have a ton of work to do, it's in being a better leader. And so for anyone listening who is, uh, feeling as though right now you have it all down as far as being a leader goes. There's more. And for those of you who feel like um, you're not fit to lead, that, that could be exactly what makes you a great leader. No, I love that. I love, there's, there's a lot of humility in that message. Mm -hmm. Well, tell everybody where they can learn more about you and what you do. At Dr. Sean Pestuch on Instagram. Everything links from there. Fantastic. Well, Sean, thank you again for hopping on and I hope in the future we'll do it again. Thank you again for jumping on the podcast today. I just want to take a quick second to remind you that we post a lot of free and helpful content on our social media pages. You can find us at Hardbat Athletics on Instagram and Facebook. Visit our website at www.hardbatathletics.com to learn more about what we do at our facility. Let's keep raising the standard together.